As we stand together in this room, let's hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 9. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful for this day that you have given us to worship you. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak. Speak because your servants are listening. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, saying together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated and find a copy of the scriptures. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we have been for several weeks now. We've been in a message series titled, Excelling. We've been looking at these different virtues and graces uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. We, we talked about, and we've done this before, we've talked about uh, excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in zeal. And today we're going to talk for a few moments about overflowing or excelling in love. Overflowing or excelling in love. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, about the love of God that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I think that's a beautiful image, and it, and it helps with this idea of overflowing in grace, overflowing in virtue, that God has poured His love into our hearts by grace through faith. This has happened, and out of our lives, out of our very souls, out of our being flows the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are called to understand this. We're called to nourish and nurture this. We're called to walk in this as disciples of Jesus Christ. This morning, I just want to highlight two aspects of overflowing in godly love, uh, in the love of God. Uh, I want us to, to look at the fact that love must be sincere and that love must be gracious. Godly love must be sincere. In 8 verse 8, he said that he was testing the sincerity of their love. Next week, we're going to talk about generosity. And, and this was the application point for him in the, in the grace of giving, that this is a test of the sincerity of their love. But, but just for a moment, I want to think about this idea of, of sincere love. It'd be like taking a jar of honey and, and holding it up to the sunlight to see if there are impurities in it, to, to see if it, if it was suitable uh, for consumption, to see if it was real and lasting. A love that overflows, that has been poured in by God and that comes out is a love that is sincere. This week I was invited to, to speak to two different groups and both of them were extraordinarily intimidating. Uh, early part of the week, I was invited to speak at the chapel at my kid's school. There's 200 elementary school kids, and my own children were in the room. 
Now that was a tall order. This morning I was invited to speak to the adult four lady Sunday school class, and they're all the age of my mother. Yep, let that one sink in. So I was with this, these groups, and, uh, and I love them. They're friends, and so we're there. But, but with these children, I mean, if there's any challenge for a preacher, it's to speak to elementary school kids. And I was assigned the lectionary text uh, for the week, which was, was in 1 Thessalonians. And it's this great passage of Scripture where Paul is talking about his ministry in the church. And he says that our ministry among you was not a ministry of flattery. Do you know the difference between flattery and genuine encouragement? It may be hard to define, but you feel it when you're in the presence of it, don't you? It's a little grimy. Flattery is an insincere attempt to build someone up not for their good, but for the other's gain. It's a grasping type of fake love. And Paul said, we didn't traffic in that. And he, and he also said our love wasn't fake. He, he said we didn't put on a mask to cover up our grasping and our greed. He said instead, he said we came humbly like brothers, like children. He said we came humbly like a nursing mother. We came like fathers encouraging in the truth. He said we came with a sincere love. There's so much that floats around the world, we must make sure that we are living a life of sincere love. Because modern concepts of love, they cut against this. We hear people talk about love, we, 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 we pause and we think that has more to do with a dopamine release than anything else. And if we're going to excel, if we're going to overflow in a godly love, we must be committed to a love that is sincere and real, not flattering or fake. It's been this way a long time. There have always been insincere rivals to the real thing. If you think about Paul and the church in Corinth, two examples come to mind. Uh, in fact, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is dealing uh, with an issue in the church. He's dealing with a challenge in the church that is, that is cutting against the witness of that church in the world. Listen to these words in chapter 5. He says, it's reported actually that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you're puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken from among you, might be disciplined. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in the spirit, have already judged. And, and though I were present, him who had been done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with the spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven levels the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that the new lumps, since you are true, true and unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. Not with the old leaven, 
not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, get this, sincerity. Sincerity and truth. Do you get the scene in Corinth? There is this, there is this man so liberated that he would enter into a relationship that's not even accepted among the pagans. Flaunting his false liberty in front of the church and in front of the community. And what was the response to this fellow? Did they come with, with tears and with a broken heart? Did they put their arm around his shoulder and say, friend, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And when that didn't work, did they come a little stronger and, and, and try to deal with him as a group? Did they, did, how did they handle this moment? What was their response to this moment? Pride. Swagger. Arrogance. They were puffed up. Maybe they made the argument, but I really think he loves her. And I think she loves him back. That may be the defeater, right? That may get it done. It what getting it done then? Because we've been called to sincerity and to truth. And he was grasping and pulling. And they were proud. But he's not the only example. Because there were also in this church people that Paul would call super apostles. They were really impressive people. They had all the looks. They had all the voice. They had all the action. They had all the followers. They had all the stuff that it took. They were the new it people. And they came to town, and they said, Paul, oh, he writes these big letters, but look how puny he is. In person, he's very much not an impressive figure. In fact, look at him. He's working with his hands. Would a real apostle of God dirty his digits making tents? Look at this guy. Look at this preaching that he preaches about a cross and blood and sacrifice and resurrection about a faith that's, that's embodied, incarnate, fleshy, and real. Oh, no. He's not the real thing. We are. And in fact, if he really loved you, he'd be telling you these great mysteries. He would be letting you in on it. But he doesn't love you. His love is fake. And ours, it glistens. And in the midst of all of these alternatives, Paul preached the cross of Jesus. He preached the resurrection of Jesus. He, he preached a cruciform pattern of life. He preached the gospel.
love must be sincere. Scott McKnight wrote a beautiful little book about, about church life, about being church together. And he said, when it comes to understanding what love is, he said, there are two rules you must hold in your hands. He said, number one, don't go to modern English dictionaries searching for a definition of love. He said, don't go there. When you read about love in the Bible, you want, what does love mean? Don't go to your modern English dictionaries. That's rule number one. He said, rule number two is when you want to know what love means, when you see it in the Bible, this is where you run. You run to the example of God as God relates to Israel and the church and the lost. When you want to know what love is, you define love by the example of God. He said, look at the prepositions that run throughout Scripture about how God relates to people. He, he said, there, there is this with us and for us and unto nature of God's love for us. That God in Christ, we witness a God that is with us, not remotely, but in the nearest sense. A God that tabernacles among us. A God that walks our streets and touches our leprous sores. A God that preaches in our, in our synagogues. A God that sits at our table. A God that cried as a baby. A God that cried out as a man. It is finished. In Jesus, we have a God that's with us. In Jesus, we have a God that is for us. How many times does it say in Scripture, he, was, he, he gave himself for us? For us. For us. You see, God's not just near. He's near and turned toward us. He, he's jealous for us. He loves us. He made us. And in our rebellion, he has not left us to our own. He has come for us that he might transform us. God is near. He is near in the presence of the Spirit of Jesus. And he is near and he is for. And his, his forness has an unto dimension. He's got, a, he's got a vision for us. And it's not just to give us our best life now. It's to give us a life with him forever that's been transformed by his grace and by his mercy. There, there is an end to the game that we be conformed to the likeness of God reflecting God's glory. Our best imagination of what life can be pales in comparison to what God has in, heart, in his heart for his people. He loves you that much. That much. With and for and unto. This is how we understand love. Not just the quick release of dopamine. You can get that in much easier ways than trying to con another human to help you out with it. $2.50, that'll release your dopamine. But love, love is different. Love comes in that it might come out. Love that's sincere overflows. And that ties in so well with his second little observation that love must be gracious. What do you mean? Everything I just said and now I'm about to add some to it. Love must be defined by the grace of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. A number of years ago, P.T. Forsyth wrote, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is strength. He said, Any gospel of love which was not dominated by the idea of grace has a short and feckless life before it. Love must be defined by the grace of God. And since this is true, the cross of Christ is the pattern for life, and it's the way we understand what love truly is. If God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that he is with us and for us and has a plan for us, then our love for each other ought to be governed by this pattern that we ought to be with one another, living our lives not in isolation, but living our, our lives in the proximity of regular, old, ordinary, ornery people. And that we need to be for each other. Sometimes sacrificially for each other. Wanting God's very best for each other. And that our vision for the common good is a vision that's born out of God's vision for all of us. That together, collectively, we would reflect the image of Christ and the glory of the Father on this earth as we are being shaped for the world to come. That's gracious love. In fact, that's the example, the exact example that Paul gave in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, he said you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor, that we could become rich. He gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, but also as a model for our living. If we're gonna overflow in love, it's gonna look like that. Second Corinthians 6, Paul said, I open my heart to you. And friends, that's how we have to be in this world. We have to be able to say to one another, this is how I'm approaching you. I'm approaching you with an open heart. Oh, how risky. Sometimes how painful. But how alive. And he pled with them. They had, they had turned their shoulder to him. They had listened to the voices of those super apostles. They were swollen with their pride. And he pled with them. Open your heart to me. Here's the apostle. Open your heart to me. And then he said in the same letter, I wrote you with tears in my eyes. You see, the popular caricature of Paul is that he was just a just serve himself, angry guy, just, just like he was a talking head on nighttime television. 
Tonight we have as our guest Pat Buchanan and the Apostle Paul. And they'll be screaming at each other. No. Read the Bible, y'all. He wouldn't like that at all. He's writing with tears in his eyes because he's got a, an image of God's hope and dream for them. And he, in that moment, wanted it more than they wanted it themselves. That's love. You can't turn that on and off like tap water. God puts it in and it comes out as an overflow of soul, as an overflow of life. That's love. It's gracious and it's sincere. And it's God's purpose for every single last one of us. And with his help, we can live that way in increasing dimension. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you that your love was not a, a saccharine, insincere, flattering, fake type of love. but a gritty, bloody love fleshed out in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room as we sing that has never confessed you as Lord and Savior, that maybe, Lord, just maybe there would be a, a, a something in their heart that says, I got to talk more about this. Lord, I, I pray that you would make people uh, restless, Lord, in their living that through the convicting power of your spirit, that today would begin a journey that would forever change someone's life through your love and your grace. For those of us, Lord, who profess our faith in you, help us through the power of your spirit to recommit our way to being lives of sincere and gracious love. Help us to be humble. Help us to be courageous. We pray in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen and amen. Friends, please stand if there are decisions that you have made in the privacy of your heart that you would make today to join this church, to follow Christ. Maybe you simply have a need in your life, and you'd like for us to pray alongside you. We invite you to come as we sing uh, for the glory of God and for your good. David.